Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Joining me today for the show is Dr. Joe Gillespie, a professional services veterinarian for Beringer Animal Health. He is based in the western part of the U.S. Today, we talk in depth about dairy cow health and dairy operations management. And I thought a good place to start, Dr. Gillespie, would be with surveillance systems. There's a lot of new technology in the livestock industry and all of agriculture, frankly. And one of the areas that there has been a lot of interest, especially with dairy cattle, is surveillance systems. Those are systems that help the dairymen manage their livestock appropriately. And they can be done in several different ways. Probably the most impactful way that these systems work for livestock is in the section of dairy cattle with regards to reproduction. So they can do collars, pedometers, RFID tags, tools like that to measure activity with livestock, as it says, a surveillance system. So with that activity, they can measure if an animal is ready to be bred, if an animal is off feed, if an animal is not ruminating or processing its feed appropriately, if an animal is laying or resting too much or too little, if they're walking too much or too little, those surveillance systems with artificial technology that we have today really can help a dairyman understand what's going on with his cow herd, whether that's diagnosing illness in the case of mastitis, whether that's diagnosing whether an animal is ready for artificial insemination or to get bred, those tools can really be helpful to help monitor what's going on in the health and in the management of your particular herd. It seems to me that a herd plan would go hand in hand with a surveillance system. Dr. Gillespie, where would a person start when it comes to putting together a herd plan? You should start with what's your, what's your goal? And I always recommend that producers sit down with whoever is advising them. And typically that's their veterinarian and their nutritionist and say, what is their health management program or plan that do you want to develop? And what is your goal with your dairy herd? If your goal is solely production, if your goal is solely milk quality and focusing more on the quality aspects of it, or is your goal to have a closed herd which allows for more opportunity for health and health wellness without bringing new animals in. You know, sitting down, having a good open discussion about what your expectations are for your dairy. Are you in the growth mode where you're going to be buying new cows? If you're going to be buying new cows, I need to have a plan in place to manage health uh, with the new cows that I bring in. Because when you bring new animals into a herd, you have the potential to cause new disease or a disease that maybe that herd hasn't had before. So especially in this market where we're seeing many dairies go out of business, but many of the other dairies that are remaining in business, absorbing those livestock and keeping the herd size fairly similar, we have cattle moving into herds that maybe were closed before. And if you don't have a good plan of how you want to manage that, it can bring disease into your herd, which could cause economic losses for you within the next year or two when you're trying to expand and do a better job of producing, you know, a quality product for your consumer. Dr. Gillespie, would that mean biosecurity measures with bringing new cattle in? Absolutely. It's biosecurity for the foods 
We need to think about biosecurity for our food system, but we also need to think biosecurity for the livestock themselves. I often use this analogy when I have conversations with producers that everybody that's had children took their children to kindergarten and they all got sick and they all brought that same sickness back to your house. I say the same thing with biosecurity when it comes to livestock. When you bring new animals in, maybe that's young heifers, maybe that's mature cows, maybe that's merging two herds together. There's a lot of different scenarios, but the basic jest is that we're commingling animals from different sources, different environments, different lifestyles, if you will. And because of that, the risk of different pathogens that they could or couldn't bring are great. So with that being said, it's important, again, to sit down with your veterinarian and say, okay, I'm going to buy a load of springing heifers and I'm going to bring them into my herd. What do I need to do in terms of preparing them to be in my herd? So that may mean vaccination or some other tool or thing that they need prior to coming in. The other is, what is the potential impact on the herd that I'm bringing them into? The example that comes up a lot is there's a virus that we see that causes lots of issues with both respiratory disease and reproductive disease, and that's BVD, bovine viral diarrhea. That particular virus, well, you could test those animals coming into your herd for that virus. Maybe that's something you want to think about from a biosecurity standpoint as you're bringing them in. BVD is one common ailment then. What are some other common health issues we see among dairies? The major viral pathogens that we see that cause respiratory disease are parainfluenza, IBR, BRSV, and BVD. And there are two types of BVD. There's BVD type 1 and BVD type 2. Pretty consistently, those are the five virals that we see producers vaccinate for across the industry. Uh, we also have some bacterial components that can become issues in dairy herds. One in particular from a reproductive standpoint is leptospirosis. Second, we have some respiratory bacteria that can cause problems, Mannheimia hemolytica and potentially Pastorella multocida. And then finally, kind of a sleeper in there that the dairy industry focuses a lot on is mycoplasm bovis. Mycoplasm bovis can cause respiratory disease, but also it can get into the milk. And in that milk, it can cause mastitis or an inflammation of the mammary gland. And subsequently, what that does is decreases the milk quality. You have cows that maybe don't produce as much because they have subclinical infection. Uh, maybe those cows have a higher level of infection in the udder, which is measured by what we call the somatic cell count. And that can affect the quality and the premium associated with your milk product. So those are kind of the major diseases that we see across, but they do go across the whole system. So they could be respiratory. They could affect reproduction and the ability for a cow to get pregnant. They also could affect milk quality. And there's some other bacterial pathogens, staphs and streps that are commonly found in mastitis. And, and they're more environmental they're in your environment, whether you're in a freestall barn bedded with sand or you're in an outside dry lot situation, there is a lot of potential for environmental bacteria to get into the mammary gland, which could cause infection. Dr. Gillespie, any other measures you would suggest for biosecurity on a dairy? I think there is. Vaccination is key. 
having a, you know, working with your veterinarian to have a good plan to vaccinate against the potential pathogen risks that you have in your herd. It might be viral. It might be bacterial. Think about those. There are vaccines for respiratory disease. There are vaccines for reproductive disease. There are vaccines, even vaccines for mastitis. So there are a lot of tools out there that companies offer that can help with the health and health management of your herd and improve your biosecurity. Second, I guess I would also suggest, you know, when you are thinking about biosecurity, when it comes to animal health, any incoming animal, is there a test or a testing system that you can employ to help you manage any kind of pathogen risk or risk of disease coming into your herd? We spoke earlier about the use of BBD and BBD testing. We could also do mastitis culture to test for particular pathogens that could be in the milk. There's just a lot of opportunity that we could evaluate. Again, as we sit down with our veterinarian and develop an animal health or a health risk plan, we can really flush those things out. And hopefully if we do, then we can see where there is opportunity for us to invest in biosecurity or invest in animal health through vaccination tools that are available. Another question that comes to mind here, Dr. Gillespie, as you're talking about biosecurity, are there any federal regulations or are you aware of any states that have regulations that mandate a biosecurity plan and or what's in that plan? Not for the plans themselves. Really today in the dairy industry, the only major restrictions for moving animals state to state is based around two diseases that we've done a pretty good job of minimizing and trying to eradicate. But there are state-to-state variations and requirements for movement of animals associated with tuberculosis and brucellosis. Tuberculosis causes respiratory diseases and brucellosis can cause reproductive disease. We have many states across the country in terms of brucellosis that are free, but some states still require that we vaccinate for that and that we have that identified on a health certificate, a movement certificate for cattle moving in and out of particular states. Same goes for tuberculosis. That's a test that's routinely done in the veterinary industry and individual states have different requirements for what is required for livestock to move in and out of a particular state. So that's more the only requirements that the federal government has today. I know there's a movement in the industry to have a biosecurity plan in place. God forbid that we have incidents with something like foot and mouth disease or some sort of foreign animal disease. Having a strategic plan on how you would manage your milk supply and how you would manage livestock movement is very vital. And many states today are really investing some effort into making sure that we have identification system, making sure we have plans in place at individual farms if something were to happen. So because if you think about dairy, that's a consumable product that needs a perishable consumable product that needs to be delivered daily. And if we have some sort of blockage of trade associated with a foreign animal disease, it's going to be very difficult for dairymen to survive. So Having some sort of idea of what I would do in a situation like that is very important. Where do I park trucks? How do I limit trucks coming on and off my facility? Those kind of questions are real vital to producers to really have a good understanding of what it might be 
to be prepared for a foreign animal disease outbreak. Good information. Thank you so much for that. When it comes to dairy health and dairy barn management, one of the biggest things that comes to my mind is lameness and what that means when it comes to animal care as well as milk production in general. Yes, definitely. Number one health disease risk on a dairy is mastitis. Probably number two or maybe number three is lameness. So foot health and longevity of livestock is important. So I think it starts with selection of your livestock. Make sure that animals have good structure and they're sort of designed or built to be able to travel. Second, have a health management plan for your foot health. Many larger dairies, they may actually have someone that's on staff that does the foot health work. What foot health means to me is it's not just repairing damaged hooves, but it's doing maintenance on your livestock. We typically recommend that a cow get examined at least twice a year to make sure that her feet are good. If they need to be trimmed or managed, then that we do them at that point. We typically recommend that producers do that at the dry off period when animals are dried off and resting for their next lactation. But we often recommend that they do it once during the year as well, just to make sure that we can maintain health. Second is having a good health program, which we talked a little bit more earlier about herd health management. One of those tools is, are we managing the feed of our livestock appropriately? If you look at many of our larger dairies today, they're on freestall environments. Those livestock have great sand bedded or compost bedded places to rest and lay but they do walk and stand on concrete many hours a day. So is the foot managed appropriately? Are we making sure that if we have an animal that has a lameness that we are identifying them early and then managing them appropriately, whether that's some sort of foot health in terms of medication or in terms of mechanical preparing that foot to heal, all those things come into the process. So There are many excellent practitioners out there that do foot maintenance, whether they're coming to a dairy as a contract laborer or they're an employee of a dairy or they're working through a veterinarian. All those are different possible potential opportunities. And therefore, we just think that's a great way to stay in front of it. The last thing that I will add, you know, we do have some issue in the dairy industry with a what's called a hairy heel wart. And it's an organism that causes sort of some irritation on the back, not between the toes where we think of foot rot, but on the back of the heel of the hoof and managing that. And we do that through foot baths that may reduce that risk, keeping the feet clean and lots of debris off of them. Just managing to make sure that cows in a clean and healthy environment can really help improve foot health over the long haul. Whether it be hoof health or maybe even one of the diseases that you mentioned here today, what are some common mistakes that you see dairy managers do? I think the common mistake is that they're waiting until there's a problem. They don't have a prevention system in place. We just got through talking about foot health. If they are running foot baths, if they have a nice, clean, dry environment, if they're doing maintenance trims halfway through the lactation and the dry off period we're going to have 
less risk associated with foot health. If we take our cows and we're, we have our cows on a good, clearly designed vaccination program with our veterinarian, and we are managing health risk, maybe we're going to improve reproduction because we have less risk of reproductive disease. Same could be said with our vaccination program as it comes to respiratory disease, whether that's in our cow herd or what's probably even more important, our replacement heifers, you know, the animals that we are raising to replace the herd. Do we have a respiratory management program in place to prevent the risk of disease? Because what I'll tell you is there's great data out there to show that if you have a case of respiratory disease in a calf, that's going to be the replacement animal that comes in the herd at two years of age. There's a pretty high risk that that animal is not ever going to be quite as productive as her herd mate that maybe didn't have a case of respiratory disease. So being prepared up front is probably the biggest opportunity that gets overlooked is waiting until there's a problem and wanting to treat that problem with a therapy, an antibiotic, for example, it may be too late. Dr. Gillespie, let's talk now about high-risk dairy animals. What are some suggestions on how those animals should be handled? When you have animals that are under high risk or actually have disease, it's important to separate those animals. One, they need more space so that there's not competition for feed and water, which, you know, for them to respond to a therapy or respond to whatever uh, infection they might have, they need support and supportive care. And how do we give that? We have, we give that when we have a place for them to go separately that they may be able to get better care. Second, when they have less competition for feed and water and maybe in many cases a hospital area, if you will, that allows for those animals to have a more open space for resting and lying down so that they can get comfortable and feel better faster. It's all about taking care of them to make sure that they get every opportunity to overcome whatever risk that they may have had. And I think that's even the case with animals that don't have disease, you know, and aren't on some sort of treatment. I'll use a fresh animal, for example, you know, the animal that just had a calf. So in the first couple of weeks of her life, she's under a lot of risk and a lot of stress because metabolically she's going from having a calf, going into production, giving a lot of milk, and there's a lot of stresses that go with that. And, and they are in a negative energy balance. They cannot consume enough nutrients to overcome the energy that they need those first few weeks. So having a separate environment, maybe undercrowded, maybe giving them more space, maybe giving them more access to water, maybe giving them more free access to feed. All those things can help that animal maybe overcome that risk of contracting some sort of disease, whether that be mastitis or metabolic or whatever, and hopefully make it through that transition more effectively. You mentioned antibiotics. So with regard to antibiotics and medicines, what should a dairy farm operator have on hand? Probably the most commonly used products for antimicrobial treatment on a dairy are one, mastitis tubes, antibiotic tubes that are created to treat an intermammary infection. So those are common and we should always have those on hand. And again, I always go back to have a conversation with your veterinarian about what your mastitis treatment plan should be. And there are many ways to do it. There are ways of treating blanketly for mastitis when you have 
signs in the milk. Some dairies now have gone to a culture and treat system where they actually take a sample of that milk, find out what pathogen it is, and then select a antimicrobial specifically for that pathogen. And that can, in many cases, improve or reduce the amount of antibiotics that you may use on a farm, which is a positive thing. Next is having that fresh cow or metabolic disease that can happen when cows are fresh. And one of those particular diseases is called metritis, which is an infection of the reproductive tract. Many producers do use some antibiotics there if they need them. If a cow has a high fever or has a, a uterine infection, we can use antibiotics there. So you should have some sort of antibiotic on hand to manage that type of disease. Foot rot, we talked a little bit about foot health. If we have issues with infection in the foot, having an antibiotic that's useful in terms of its effectiveness against foot rot is valuable. And then finally, last, I guess I would say is a high percentage of the U.S. dairy herd that treats cows at the point of dry off. So the, they're pregnant, they're going down in production, production level has reached a point and the pregnancy has reached a point where they're going to go into a somewhere around two month rest period before they have a calf and begin the lactation again. We will give them a therapy of antibiotic in all four quarters. And the purpose behind that is to reduce intermammary infection that may have been there already or for them that may contract infection during that dry period of the period before they have a calf again. So when they come fresh, they're not under risk of new mastitis or new infection and the milk quality will be improved. So that's really the three areas would be mastitis, dry cow therapy, and then having tools available to treat the common on-farm diseases that they may see during lactation. Again, you know, there are products that are labeled only for dairy. There are products that we use in the beef industry that aren't labeled for dairy. Having an understanding of that, having a conversation with your veterinarian, he can prescribe things that he thinks are appropriate for your particular risk. And that's the way that you make a good herd health management plan is have that conversation so that you're prepared for that when you get there. Dr. Gillespie, since we are on the issue of antibiotics, can you fill us in on the new rules that will require a producer to have a veterinarian relationship before they can even get antibiotics? Sure. With the new regulations that came about June 11th across the U.S., any new product that's being produced by manufacturers, companies like that I work for, that previously was an antimicrobial that did not have a prescription label, will now have a prescription label. The USDA came out and said, or FDA, I believe that actually was. So if there is product on the market today that is not labeled for prescription, producers continue to use that until it's normal withdrawal label. But what it implies for producers going forward is that to buy products, I'll give an example of a product that we have as a company, a mastitis tube called Today. That tube has been over the counter for years. Now, starting June of this year, it will become a prescription product. What that means for the producer is that he needs to have a veterinary client-patient relationship with his veterinarian, a plan, and he either needs to buy his product from that veterinarian or he needs to get a prescription from that veterinarian that he has that relationship with to purchase that product from some sort of retail, whether that's a 
farm store or a distribution center, whatever kind of retail that he is buying his supplies from. But that is a big difference. It's not affecting many products. Many products that we have on the market are already prescription, and he's had that relationship already. What it affects is a few products that didn't. In this case, we talked about today are the oxytetracycline products, which are more commonly used for foot health and respiratory disease. All of those, whether it's one that we produce or one that another company produces, going forward this year, they'll all be required to have a prescription to purchase. But I think, again, we've talked about this, uh, a couple of comments about this throughout our podcast today is that having that relationship with your veterinarian is key. Second, having an idea of what he thinks is most important for that recommendation is going to be key. And then third, utilizing those tools based on the herd health management program that we put together. I know another big issue for livestock producers in general is fly control, but just based on some past interviews, Dr. Gillespie, I know that flies can also lead to a reduction of milk and can lead to weight loss in dairy cows. So let's talk more about that. What should we be thinking about with regard to fly control? Fly control, as you stated, can really have a negative impact on the cows. It changes their grouping structure. Sometimes they'll bunch up in small groups and put pressure on each other. Sometimes they won't eat like they should. Sometimes they over-exercise, if you will. They're trying to run from the flies, and weight loss can, can play in there, and all those things culminate into a loss of production. So, so flies are important. Management of flies can come in many different ways. I always start with environment. So if there is an environment for the fly then you're going to have flies. And I mean that by, do you have your facilities outside and inside groomed appropriately to minimize fly reproduction? So do you have manure piles? Do you have lots of tall weeds around the barn? Do you have buildup of manure along the fence lines in the back walls of your barn? Anywhere where there's an environment for that to take place. So I think it's important to understand that you have to be available to make those management decisions to eliminate that risk. Next, control, right? There are lots of tools available. There are premise sprays. There are livestock sprays. There are livestock dry rubs. There are insect growth retardant factors that can be feed-throughs. There's a lot of tools out there that you can use to reduce that population. But with flies, you can't wait until you have flies to start the program. You got you to have a plan in place and you need to start that prevention before and maintain that through the heavy fly season. So frankly, where I live right now, we've had a lot more moisture than normal. Our fly population is on the rise. If you waited until we had moisture, you're behind already and it's going to be difficult for you to deal with flies. If you had your fly program in place, you were grooming your facilities mowing, you started premise spraying, and maybe you started spraying your cows appropriately with products that are available, you're going to be ahead of it and you can do much better. Same type of question, but this time with regard to parasites, what do we need to do to control parasites on a dairy operation? My recommendations for parasite control are developed around a sort of tiered approach. First, diagnostics. Are we looking for parasites? Do we have a parasite of concern? Because what we've done over the last 
20 years is just blanket treated cows based on the availability of products. But I feel like that we need to go back to the basics of making sure and diagnosing do we have issues. Most of the big issues with dairy livestock, especially in confinement, is the uh, risk of external parasites, uh, lice, mites, udder mites, tail mites. There's several different organisms. They all irritate the skin. They all irritate the animal. The animal doesn't eat. The animal doesn't give milk. So it's a negative impact. So doing diagnostics to see what you have, making a plan around those, using tools that are appropriate. And there's topical tools, there's injectable tools, but just starting with diagnostics, then picking a treatment. And then if you do pick a treatment, make sure that you're treating at the appropriate dose. One of the biggest failures of parasite control is treating animals at the inappropriate time and treating them with the inappropriate dose. If we're underdosing, potentially we have parasites that survive that treatment, and then we can have the risk of creating a population that may become resistant to products. So appropriate timing, appropriate dose based on weight, and making sure that dose is distributed in or on the animal the most appropriate way. What about changing gears just a little bit? What about transportation? How do we prepare and what are some thoughts on actually transporting the animals to and from? I think what we've seen in the beef industry should hopefully carry over to transportation and livestock. Now we have a beef quality assurance program for transportation. So what that means is teaching people that are moving livestock to better understand that they're moving livestock appropriately. Are they handling them appropriately, loading them and unloading them? Are they making sure that animals aren't on the truck too long? They have good bedding in the truck so that there's no issues with foot problems when they arrive to their destination. We see lots of movement of small young calves now across the country, one to five days old. Do we have nutrition in place for those calves to make sure that they get enough nutrients? Do we have bedding in place for those calves to make sure that they're comfortable? Do we have wind or cold protection for livestock to make sure that they're protected when they're traveling? So I think it comes back to just making sure that we practice good stewardship, but utilize resources that are out there just to help truckers understand the sensitivity or the importance of the animals that they're carrying and, and what that means to our industry as a long, as a, in the long haul. What needs to be talked about when it comes to health of milking cows? We can't have a dairy conversation and not talk about milk cows and their health and management. There are many different ways to milk cows today and we see lots of different systems we see rotary parlors we see traditional parallel parlors herring bones we see the new carousel the large parlors but when it comes to milking the cows it's about two or three things it's making the cow comfortable it's making sure that the cow's teats or udder are clean and dry and disinfected if we do those things and we prepare that animal so that when we put the machine on for milking, that she has a clean, dry, disinfected udder, we have a greater opportunity to maintain milk and milk quality and health of that udder. From a mechanical standpoint, that's the most difficult job that cow has every day is we put a mechanical machine on her for milking. 
two, three times a day, whatever the milking procedure is at a particular farm. But the thing that gets forgotten sometimes is, is that equipment maintained appropriately? Is it clean? Is it at the right level of vacuum? Are we going to harvest that milk in the most comfortable way for that cow? So if we have a clean, dry udder to present to a piece of equipment that is clean and maintenanced appropriately so that it's at the right vacuum pressures, we're going to have a better experience for milking for that cow every time. And if we do that, she will make milk faster. She will let that milk down faster and that milk will be harvested faster, which allows that machine to get off sooner and ultimately have less negative impact on that cow each day. So it's about equipment and cleanliness and the cleanliness of the cow. Those are the really important things. You can do lots of ways to do it, stimulate that cow, clean that cow. There's robotic technologies, there's manual technologies, there's the use of towels, there's use of pre and post dips. And then finally, when that cow is done milking, make sure we have some sort of protective cover or dip on that cow when she leaves. What happens is there is often a small milk film on the teat end that's present from the milking process. If we don't protect that against bacteria, that's a media for bacteria to grow out in the barn in the environmental world. So we put a post-milking cover of what we call dip on there, and that allows that bacterial film to be covered and reduce the risk of bacteria getting on the teat end. And if they do, that might be something that prevents them from entering the teat and causing mastitis in that cow down the road. Now let's talk about fertility management in dairy cows. Reproduction is probably, besides the milk that comes from the cow, reproduction is the most important thing in the cow's life cycle. Because if a cow is not pregnant and does not have another calf, she will not continue in milk forever. So cows don't milk forever. They milk for, you know, probably, you know, 300 days to a year. They can milk that long, but at some point they have to have another calf and start that lactation over. And so with that in mind, our goal is to have a calf every year so that we continue to have production in that cow. So with that reproduction and the reproductive effectiveness of your reproductive program are very vital to the success of a dairy. When I got into veterinary practice 30 years ago, most dairies used bulls for reproduction. We see now a trend where we're using more and more reproductive technologies to improve our herds. And those are through artificial insemination first. And then second, we see a strong movement to utilize technologies in artificial insemination, such as sex semen to produce more female offspring. With that, dairies can manage herds differently. And we've seen that have an effect positively on the beef industry, where we now have a high number of heifers born because of sex semen. And then the remaining cows, we're seeing more and more use of beef semen to produce a beef on dairy cross, which is a product that's going to be valuable to the beef feeding industry especially with currently where our cow numbers are so low across the U.S. herd and the beef herd. So technology is important, but the bottom line at the beginning is to make sure that we do the things correctly to get that cow pregnant as rapidly as possible. 
And there are a couple of ways that we do that. First and foremost is nutrition, you know, making sure that the cow is in a good nutritional plane. Second, having a detection system that works to detect estrus or to detect that the cow is ready to be bred. And third, we use lots of reproductive assistance programs with livestock. We use the surveillance systems that, that can identify animals that are in heat. We also have herds that use reproductive hormones that help animals synchronize so that they have their cycles at the same time so that we can do timed artificial insemination, which helps our technician be more efficient with his time and more effective at getting cows pregnant. And in my career, we've seen all those technologies come and be developed. Working with your veterinarian, you can develop a reproductive health program that that will help you better understand how and why to synchronize cows, and then maybe even how those cows can be more effectively managed to make sure that we get them pregnant at the right time. And so those are the ways that we're doing it, and it's a continual process. But once again, I think this is sort of like a broken record, sitting down and having a conversation with your veterinarian about what your goals are, what kind of animals that you want to have, when you want to have them get pregnant so that you're maintaining your herd size appropriately is all important information so that you can help develop that health plan and management plan that gets you to the successful level that you want to be as a producer. Given your expertise as a veterinarian, Dr. Gillespie, how should dairy barn managers not only handle sick animals, but also non-ambulatory animals? So in the dairy industry, I feel like we have a, a program associated with the uh, large cooperatives that purchase milk that's called the FARM program. It's an excellent program where it looks at animal health, animal husbandry, wellness, well-being, all those things. One of the big criteria in that is that you have a set of protocols in place for managing animals, whether that's a management of an animal that's unhealthy or sick, or risk to unhealthiness or sickness, or all the way to managing animals that may be unable to rise or non-ambulatory, and how we make sure that health and welfare is maintained. In particular, we want to make sure that animals that are down or non-ambulatory that we always have feed and water present in front of them. Have a plan in place to show that you're going to do that. Second, if we do have those types of animals, which occasionally they happen, uh, what's our plan for that animal? How long are we going to allow them to try to recover? If they can recover, excellent. If they can't and they reach a point where we are are at risk for their well-being, do we have a plan in place to euthanize those animals humanely and appropriately, and then managing that carcass after that takes place. So one of the great things about the dairy industry and the farm program is that's part of your health program. And you have to have documentation and you have to have someone who's in charge of those different areas on your farm. It doesn't mean that everybody needs to know how to do it. It means means that we need a plan in place. So if that actually happens, handle those cows appropriately making sure that they have feed and water, making sure that they have shade. If we're helping them, lifting them, making helping their circulation, do we have the technologies in place to make that happen? And if we reach a point where we have to make a decision on the health and welfare of that animal, do we have a euthanasia program in place? 
As for dairy barn conditions, I feel like we've kind of interwoven it into our conversation today. But is there anything else you would like to add to that topic? The biggest thing is routine maintenance, making sure that your barn or facilities are are maintenance. Because if they aren't, if you have breakdowns in your pens, pipes, that's all important. We have to make sure that we do the things, the right things to keep things functioning so that we don't hurt animals, so that we don't create risk of mastitis, so we don't create risk of other health disease, uh, foot health, those things. So making sure surfaces are, are taken care of, making sure the fences aren't broken, gates aren't down, making sure the milking equipment, what we talked about already, is well-maintained and working properly. All those things are really important. Dr. Gillespie, what about managing dairies in extreme weather? Just understand that, you know, we can't control environmental impacts with weather, but can we limit the risk associated with them? So we have heat. Now we have humidity. We have high, what's called thermal heat index. That's more pressure on a cow. So do we have shade for that cow? You know, do we have the ability to make that cow more successful in her production? Are we making her comfortable? And that's the bottom line, making her comfortable. Again, based on your experience, Dr. Gillespie, and working with dairy barn managers and producers, what are some of these suggestions you have when it comes to making sure that there is communication between them and workers, especially when it comes to care plans or maybe mitigating a unique situation? I think it's just a matter of making sure that we communicate. Communication is a weakness in any business. If we have communication in place, we're having weekly meetings or we're having daily meetings. We're talking about the expectation of what's changing currently, whether it's increased weather or moisture, which may increase the risk of mastitis, or whether we're talking about heat, whether we're talking about cold, just sitting down weekly, at least maybe daily, just to have a round group and say, this is what we're up against. This is what we think. This is how we want to go about it. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page. You've mentioned the importance here today of having a plan, and along with that comes records. And of course, we know that there are some regulations out there that you've also mentioned that we have to make sure we're abiding by. What are some of the records and tracking mechanisms that a dairy operator really needs to have or keep in mind? Most dairies now of any size, even smaller dairies, have good records of their individual cows and their cow health. I think that's important to understand the history of that animal and what her risks are. There's lots of softwares out there that you can use. But, you know, maintaining health treatments, maintaining production records, maintaining history of genetics of the calves that those cows produce. And so that we can have history of those genetics to improve overall quality of the livestock. But I think keeping them available, we need to keep records on our livestock and our treatments for up to three years to be in our quality assurance program. But many of the softwares will keep it for that cow's entire life. But I think just understanding that we need records to make sure that we can understand what's been successful or not successful, right? We can go back and review those records and find out or help diagnose risk of disease, help diagnose risk of reproductive failure, help diagnose risk of why production is low based on those records. So having those records is important so that we can continue to make sure that the herd is moving forward and producing more milk, being more productive, and hopefully for that producer being more profitable.
Behringer Animal Health Professional Services Veterinarian, Dr. Joe Gillespie, my interview here today. Dr. Gillespie, thank you for spending time with me and sharing all of this information. And thank you everyone for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Lori Boyer.